1: Have you ever gone on a vacation? We're not talking Miami Beach. More like a trip to the Himalayan mountains. And you decide to stay there indefinitely? No, this is not a backpacking 20-something story. This is the true story of a one time successful software developer for some microsystems. Why did he hightail it to another continent? The answer is not witness protection. The answer is, well, you know, I'm going to let him tell you. What I will tell you is that his dramatic move to a faraway land gave birth to a venture called Cloud Factory that now has offices in Nepal, Kenya, the United States, and the United Kingdom, Cloud Factory helps fast growing tech companies scale by offloading digital work so they can focus on innovation and growth. I am thrilled and honored to introduce the creator of Cloud Factory to our show, Mark Sears. Welcome to Change Your Story, Change Your Life.
0: Hi, Lewis. I'm excited to be here. Thank you.
1: And uh, people don't know that you're globe hopping. Uh not as we speak, but you have been globe hopping in the past couple of weeks, and that you're right now not in Nepal but in London England, correct?
0: That's right. We are uh, busy opening up a new office here, and so yeah it's uh it it's definitely been a lot of travel the last two years, but um it's it's all worth it.
1: I'm sure it is, and now let's jump into the story of your journey. Where, where were you born?
0: I am. I'm Canadian. I, I grew up uh, near another another uh, mountain range uh, near the Rocky Mountains, uh, uh, right between Edmonton and Calgary, in a small city called Red Deer, Alberta.
1: In Red Deer, eh? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I. The reason I say that, uh, I don't know if you know, but I'm in Canada right now. I'm in Toronto. I,
0: I did. I did know that. Yeah, that's right.
1: And my father, who immigrated from Italy uh, first to Canada, lived in Canada for 15 years. And when you said red deer, it triggered something. But now I remember he worked in a lumber camp uh, in Red Lake, Ontario. Okay. So, um, I have Canadian roots now. uh, Did you come from a big family?
0: No, no, it was just me, just me and my sister, pretty small family, uh, just two kids. And, um, we had, uh, some distance between us as well. So she, she was about seven years older. And so she was out of the house, uh, pretty, pretty early. So yeah, no, small family and, um, grew up, uh, you know, pretty pretty standard, middle class, you know, smaller city, um, didn't really do any travel or anything like that, never really left Canada, uh, let alone North America, so yeah.
1: Well, that's fascinating because you developed a lifestyle that most people would be afraid of because it involved risk adventure and the unknown who influenced you the most while you were growing up
0: well no question i think like a lot of people it was um i've been very close with my mom and and she uh she's a risk taker herself and and so i think that probably uh both both through passing down maybe some of the the dna of it as well as modeling it uh you know she she takes calculated risks i guess you'd say and so i think uh i think she influenced me uh as well in that sense
1: can you give us an example of her as a risk taker what did she do
0: yeah yeah i can um, i mean one thing i remember uh actually when i i, I came back I, I was i left canada to to work in a startup in the states for a few years and uh i decided to make a big trip back because i wanted to come home i wanted to be back close to family where i grew up so i moved back uh, to calgary alberta which was only about an hour and a half away and a big part of that was to be close to to my parents and be home and literally a few months after i did that uh they decided to to actually move uh, all the way across the country to to prince edward island and so uh you know they they'd they'd been there forever. My mom had grown up there, and, and so for her to just kind of pick up at that stage of life and, and just move and kind of rebuild uh, all the way on the other side of the country was, it was definitely one of those th- things where, you, you know, you realize that uh, uh, it was going a little bit against the grain and, and just took some chances and kind of pursuing her dream of, of living on living on an island and kind of falling after the Anne of Green Gables, uh you know, kind of vision that she 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 had for a long time. So yeah, that's that's one. But there's there's definitely others.
1: And what uh, what kind of work uh, did your did your father do? Did your mother work as well?
0: They they both did. Yeah, lots of different jobs. Lots of different jobs. To be honest, like both of them actually mostly for government though, um, both local government. Um, uh, but yeah, fairly definitely nothing really tech savvy or. Uh, entrepreneurial, um, you know, I think in some ways, the government's kind of the opposite of entrepreneurial. So
1: (laughs) I I would say it's an extreme opposite. Yeah. It's fascinating, (laughs) though, because um, her character trait of just picking up and uprooting uh, certainly fed into your entrepreneurial spirit. Did you have a childhood dream of what you wanted to be when you grew up?
0: Uh, I think, like many kids, it, it changed a lot. You know, I think it probably depended on the the year that you asked, if not the week that you asked. So, I had lots of dreams as I grew as I grew up. Um, I, you know, for a long season, I wanted to be an architect. So, the idea of of designing and 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 just creating massive buildings um, was, was a was a big one for quite a while. Uh, I definitely. In, in grade two had a, a passion for computers that kind of birthed with the the Apple IIe and, and doing a lot of different uh, uh, logo uh, programming, kind of the, the turtle that you kind of make go around the screen type stuff. So, so I had a, a long stint there where I was going to be a computer programmer. Um, obviously that one is the one that kind of came back full circle when I made the decision in college to pursue computer science. Um, but uh, I did a lot of things growing up. I, I worked a ton of different jobs, everything from delivering papers and working in, in rest, restaurants, delivering pizza, you name it, a lot of different things. Um, so, yeah, always, always a strong focus on, on work and, and always coming up with different ideas, different entrepreneurial ideas. So, yeah, a, a lot of the computer stuff and the entrepreneurial stuff has kind of been there for a long time.
1: So, Mark, you moved from software development into a major entrepreneurial role. How did that happen?
0: I think for a lot of people uh, who kind of come up from a software development background, you know, it it was, I was the one who was actually writing code. And then it moved more into managing software projects. Uh, And then the next step was kind of crossing over from software development into more of the product and the marketing side of things. And so, I became a product manager and, and began kind of creating products at a at a higher level, not just the the technical details, but but thinking about it more from a market perspective and from a, a user and customer perspective. And um, and so, from from there, uh, you know, in many ways, people call product managers uh, mini CEOs. Uh, they have to really be the CEO of the product. And so, I think the the next step of actually. Uh, creating at the highest level right which is the creating an organization i think is was fairly natural evolution I and mean, that and that's the one that that i followed was 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 exactly that
1: then you decided to take a trip to nepal with your wife now how did that change your life
0: well it absolutely changed our lives um and we're very thankful that we uh, we did take that trip and there was there was a lot building up to that to that two week vacation. Um, I mean when when me and my wife got married uh, in Canada, we had uh, we had a bit of a theme of Nepal at our wedding. And and so it was, you know, in hindsight it seems so obvious, but at the time it was just sort of a fairly innocent idea of you know, we were we were both professionals, and the idea of, of getting... We, we joked that we don't need a whole bunch more um, crock pots and, and other kind of wedding gifts at the time. So we uh, we asked our friends and family to actually donate towards a project in Nepal. And, and we had some friends from Nepal that sent some handmade paper goods that, that we handed out at the wedding. And we had friends and family actually give gifts, not to us, but to give gifts towards a project in nepal uh where we got uh camp stoves and and some other things for families there so you know from the from the the moment that we we were married there was already a a nepal theme emerging that really just bled into a desire to to go to nepal and that didn't happen for a few years uh but it was in 2008 that that first two-week vacation uh, did in fact change our lives uh, in, in, com- in complete and uh, magnificent ways. So yeah, it, it, it really built up to that. And a big part of that was le- getting out of our comfort zone. And my wife had the opportunity when we were in Canada to go for a three-month opportunity in, um, in uh, the Middle East, in the Gulf region. And so we took that chance uh, on short notice it was it was a maternity leave that she had the chance to go take, um, and so we thought it would just be for three months. And once we got over there, we we loved you know learning a new culture, and uh, so it was it was from that place where we didn't have kids yet. We thought, great, we can travel and see some more of the world. Uh, and one of the first places on that list was was Nepal, and that's in fact what we did. Was I think it was July twenty. 8th, thousand and eight 2008, that we uh, started uh, started our time there.
1: What I'm still trying to get clear though. Is when you went on vacation, your intention was just to stay for a short while. So, what actually happened in Nepal that made that change?
0: Yeah, I think it's it's like it's like everything. It, it often things start really small and they kind of just evolve um, slowly into something maybe. Maybe sometimes bigger, and that's what happened. So it was. We started in the villages of Nepal. So we were uh, literally in uh, in rice fields. We were in the jungle. We were um, you know boating at uh, the base of the Himalayas. It was a pure vacation. Uh we, we did have a great friend that was there that we wanted to see. We were there to help to, to meet his family. And, and so it was, it was a great time. But it was definitely vacation. And, and I think we'd already fallen in love with, with uh, Nepali people that we've met uh, in, in um, the Gulf region and in Canada. So this was a time for us to really fall in love with the, the, the actual nation of Nepal. And once that happened, I think the question emerged of, Feeling a little bit helpless, you know, seeing seeing some financial poverty that we hadn't seen before um, in the in the villages, and then asking how could a you know a chartered accountant and a software entrepreneur really add any value? Um, so it kind of it was kind of the we fell in love, but then we're kind of confused with how we could really add any value until we came back to Kathmandu, uh, the typical you know developing world. Uh, urban city, where the contrast was, we were eating pizza, and our friend was introducing us to some of his friends who happened to be some other computer geeks. They were, you know, computer developers, and um, it was from from that meeting where this idea began to spark. Of well, maybe maybe we do have something to offer. Maybe there is something that we, you know, could do to contribute um, and plug in and uh, so it really was just through a conversation over pizza in a in a cafe in Kathmandu where i realized that uh, i had learned a particular programming language ruby on rails that was of interest to these young developers that i just met and so made an offer to stay uh for a couple weeks and and, and do some training with them and so it really was a two week vacation that got extended for 3 weeks to do some training and uh during the midst of that i kind of let people know where i was they were wondering where i was I'm like, oh i'm still in Kathmandu. i'm training up some some young developers on ruby on rails and they said you've got ruby on rails developers wow can you do a project and uh that turned into uh, a project over three months so extended it another three months to do the projects and from there it turned into us starting uh, starting the business so certainly it was never our plan but uh but we wouldn't change it; we wouldn't change it
1: at all. That's fascinating. But I just uh, so when you went on vacation and you ended up extending your stay, did you at some point pack it up and come back to Canada and then make the transition?
0: No, we didn't actually. Um, it was a little bit of that was because we we were we were already in process of relocating from Canada to. Um, you know to the gulf region so we'd already been through that process we we had sold our house we'd sold i sold my old bmw motorcycle all those things we would got rid of everything so we were now very mobile and so um so yeah it was it was definitely a time where it, it literally we we just redirected some of the shipping uh to nepal uh after after a couple months and so yeah no it literally uh, we stayed, we stayed.
1: <laughs> That's a very brave move. I mean, how was the adjustment from the comforts of North America and Canada, which is, we have everything here, to a more, uh, I would say, more primitive in a way, right? Because, I mean, you are in the Himalayan mountains, correct?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, there, there's no question that... Uh, there's no question there. There was a lot of adjustment, and there is there is for for others um, who experience you know something similar. We have lots of other people from our team who who are continuing to make that that adjustment um, back and forth, and, and so people from Canada and the states that have moved their families to to Nepal and, and also to Nairobi, Kenya. So I think for us it lies at the heart of uh, really our, our, our business and 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 just the 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 joy that we have is is really this this struggle of understanding what is the definition of of rich what is the definition of poverty and so while we began living in Nepal and we we struggled with you know getting sick right I mean the water is we always kind of joke the water is like poison um, like you just you know one drop of water in, in a glass that you pour in, um, some Coke and, and you, you're going to be violently sick. Um, so, y- you know, there's just realities to the, some of the dirt and the dust and the noise and the food and the water. And, um, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's physical realities to many developing countries, but once you kind of break through that layer, you, you know, you've definitely discover uh beauty that is beyond what we usually experience here in north america and in the west so for us i think that's really a lot of what we're trying to figure out is, is i think we know that we don't have it figured out we certainly may be financially rich but we certainly do not have all of our our, our values and everything figured out and so that's what we loved we, we fell in love with nepal we saw how they cared for one another in terms of their neighbors and community um, and and just kind of underneath the surface we saw uh, the beauty and the heritage and the history and just so many things that uh, stood out and and made it for us actually a much more enjoyable and exciting place to raise our family um, so yeah it it, it the, the journey continues of figuring it all out right um, but there's no question that there's There's physical realities to making that adjustment. Um, But for us, all of the other stuff far outweighed any of the inconveniences.
1: This is a fascinating story, especially to me, because uh, I must be totally transparent. I am um, a... You know, they say there's a confirmed bachelor. I am a confirmed North American. I'm entrenched. I'm entrenched in my comfort and proud of it. So I listen to you and, and my mouth drops and I'm going, So I'm in awe. And you were obviously driven by a very powerful why because that's the only thing that would let you endure those other challenges. What would you say that why? is and was
0: well I mean I think that I think, I think there are certain people that are very driven by the why question you know right like just uh, I, I think, I think that fits with being an entrepreneur as well and so that absolutely carried over into, uh, into into landing in Nepal and it's sort of like why do things work the way they do here and so for me the, the joy of learning a new culture is also the joy of learning uh, the existing culture that I, you know that, that I grew up in and and so I think oftentimes you don't ask those questions until you can kind of get out of your culture because you, you can't even you can't even tell the difference and so it's kind of a dual journey of okay why do things work the way they do in Nepal and then you start to realize well why do things work the way they do in Canada where I grew up or the U S where I've worked and spent time as well. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, and we're all trying to understand uh, our purpose and, and bigger purposes and, and, you know, how do I fit into the world and what value do I, you know, should I be trying to, you know, how do I spend my time? What do I invest into? Where do I invest? Um, there's so many of those questions. I think that everyone is trying to ask. And so for me uh, that, that really kicked off a journey of, of getting to explore it and getting to explore it actually in a, in a business context and saying, we talk a lot about a flat world and yes, we can get on an airplane is easier and cheaper than ever. Um, but with technology and, and flights being easy to make a flat world, there's still really big cultural gaps and, 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 and these kind of soft things that we still need to figure out. And so, um, I think that's a journey that we've been on as a family, but it's also one that our business is on as well. Um, we're trying to connect uh, a, you know the world's workforce to to growing companies around the world. and and so this idea of remote work and uh, is is more feasible than ever, but there's still a lot that needs to be figured out. Um, sometimes it's not just the practical side of being able to travel anywhere, being able to uh, you know hop on Skype to anyone in the world and so yeah I think that's a little bit of our story is continuing to figure that out
1: it's fascinating I mean you're driven by a sense of uh, passionate curiosity about the world and you know kudos to you now you have a family you say, how many do you have children
0: we do we have a wonderful five and, and seven year olds five year old daughter and a seven year old son uh, they were both, they, they, we, we actually came back to Canada, uh, for their births for, for three months. Um, but in, in just more for kind of access to medical, uh, but in many ways they consider Nepal to be their, their home and, and where they were born and spent a important part of their first years. And so, uh, yeah, it's, they've got more miles than, than most, uh, most adults already
1: and they love they love nepal
0: they absolutely love nepal yeah oh, they, yeah
1: fantastic uh, we,
0: they uh yeah it's a big part of our of our family for sure and and we um are uh, excited by it right i mean it really is uh, it really is a unique opportunity to to get to be uh, a part of a, of a different culture and and uh so for us i mean as a family last summer we so we we've been we've been in the us uh the last couple of years um based there more uh the last couple of years um and then traveling back to nepal the last couple summers last summer as a family we got to spend time with with our our team in, in nairobi and then team uh in nepal as, as well and so um, for them getting to experience all of it is, is a big part of the joy that, that we have as a family
1: yeah, this is quite admirable mark you went from beginning to um, teach people about the uh, the program that you Ruby on Rails and then you developed it into a full-blown um, company Call Cloud Factory. Tell us about the birth of Cloud Factory. Yeah.
0: So, from that training, we, we got we got a project and a second project. And at the time, we were we were hiring young computer engineering graduates. So, out of out of college, out of university, uh, putting them through a, a pretty intensive boot camp to to con- train them up to a level where they could uh, really work on international projects and. So the premise the whole time was that talent is equally distributed around the world, but opportunity is not. And so we, we had the opportunity to create opportunities. And that really is what Cloud Factory was about at the beginning and, and what it is now. But at the time, it was really only computer engineers. And so we started in 2010. It was January 1st, 2010. We began building a platform that really could connect the talent of the world uh, to companies uh, anywhere. And, and so that was really the beginning of, of, of what is today Cloud Factory, is this idea of a workforce on one side and then uh, companies on the other side that need access to talent to do a lot of the routine repetitive work that exists in every business. And so we, we'd seen outsourcing, we'd heard, obviously, crowdsourcing, and yet we just felt there was a little bit of a different take on it. So there's, there's freelancing marketplaces out there like Elance, Odesk, or now Upwork. Um, and yet we, we really envisioned uh, a different way to connect the world's talent into, uh, into growing businesses especially that needed to get this work done alongside of technology and so so that really was the the beginning of cloud factory was was building up an engineering team building up a a technology platform uh but also building up a workforce model and a culture that when you put it all together uh could really scale and grow and and so that that really was the beginning of cloud factory was you know a lot of engineers working on code uh But then we started this this idea of what if we put put our, we call them cloud workers, what if we put our cloud workers in teams of five and we begin uh, having them meet weekly and what if it wasn't just about them doing kind of these data entry back office type projects? What if they actually uh, went through some leadership training and character principle stuff together? What if they actually went out and did some community service projects? And um, so, really were able to kind of design this, this, this new type of job where uh, it wasn't a completely work from home job. So most of our workers uh, do work distributed, but we call it semi-distributed because they actually uh, are in teams and they meet weekly, they come into the office for training and other events. And so it's kind of a hybrid where they're not nine to five in an office, but they're also not freelancers that just work at home from their basements and never meet anyone on their team, and so really spent a long time designing a model for uh, for entry-level digital jobs that can really scale and and, and, and fits very well. Um, and and again, in in essence, it really is a factory in the cloud. Factories have absolutely. Uh, accelerated the the development of many economies you know from 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 the states to to europe to japan china korea on and on and on and and yet in this day and age we felt like there had to be a different type of factory a digital factory and and so for us designing designing how that all works does involve a lot of technology but also involves a lot of culture and and really understanding the, the meaning and purpose of work, and so we talk a lot about um, meaningful work. We want to create meaningful work for a million people. That's uh, kind of our our big, hairy, audacious goal from kind of Jim Collins' BHAG speech. We want to we want to connect a million people, uh, not just to work, not just to give them a paycheck, but to actually to, to, to give them a purpose alongside of that paycheck, and to, to do it in an environment where they're a part of a team, and they're growing, and um, yeah, that, that's the that's the journey that Cloud Factory has been on for uh, quite a few years now, since 2010.
1: It's a it's a wonderful vision. It you as you were talking, I was thinking, yeah, you were mentioning factories. Well, that was the industrial revolution, but we are right now in the 21st century in the digital revolution, and so you're extending the idea of productivity, purpose, and meaning, and giving it a different format. And that that takes vision. That is quite wonderful. Uh, we're going to get to that concept of meaningful work in a moment. It's fascinating to me. I know that you have strong views on poverty. Do you believe that global poverty can be eliminated?
0: That is a... Isn't that a big question? Uh,
1: yeah. Yep. Well, the first,
0: <laughs> the first place to start, right, I think is, is really around the definition of poverty. And that's what I was getting at earlier is I, I, just, I, I, I just refuse to believe that uh, the definition of poverty is, is, is simply how much uh, money someone does or doesn't have. It's not, it's not just a lack of resources. Um, and, and again, I know that because I've got some distance from our culture in the West and I've been able to look and see that the, you know, for everything from, from divorce and addictions and workaholics and, um, just on and on and on. And so really we've, we've, we've really embraced the idea that poverty is more about broken relationships than it is about a lack of resources. So I think in some ways that actually makes it a much harder problem. It's already a really hard problem to think about global poverty in terms of the misdistribution of wealth. But when you bring it into an even bigger uh definition in context of 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 broken relationships and 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 yeah, it, it makes it even harder. So I <laughs> I don't know I don't know how to answer that I mean
1: okay I, uh, I mean I get what you're saying I mean I agree with you that um, I don't define wealth by the amount of money you have because we know many many people who have a very large net worth and they're slaves yep. to the money they're unhappy they're uh, they, they have uh, an empty emotional life so if those things are not in place, they're not wealthy. When I talk about global poverty being eliminated, I'm talking specifically about a situation where human beings do not have um, enough food to, to uh, and, and good food, nutritious food, to keep them alive and healthy. They don't have places to live. Uh, they don't have the basic... Um, the basic rudiments of um, a civilized life. I, do you believe that that can be eliminated? That we have enough resources if they were properly channeled, so that everyone could have at least what they need?
0: Yeah, I believe it. I believe it absolutely is 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 possible. I believe that we're clearly, according to data, trending in that direction. There's no question that there has been massive, massive, accelerated um, uh, improvements uh, across the board, and it's been great to see more and more of that data come out because we are often all very, very negative about about the situation. But but it, it is it is happening. It is happening quickly. Uh, you know, the flattening of the world and technology has a, a big part to play in that. Um, Globalization, you know, is, is a complicated thing, but it, it is leading to uh, it's leading to people that are able to work very hard and to receive opportunities they didn't have, you know, a decade or two ago, uh, and they're embracing it. And, and so we are seeing it happening.
1: When I speak to many entrepreneurs like yourself, people with a vision, uh, this book I'm going to mention keeps coming up for me. Um, it's called Bold. How to Go Big, Create Wealth and Impact the World by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Cutler. Are you familiar with it?
0: Yeah, yeah, I haven't read it, but I am familiar with it, yeah.
1: Because uh, I think you'd love it. I mean, he is at the heart, that book is at the heart of what you're talking about. He talks about one of the major shifts being a process called demonetization, and we're Making accessible to the average person things that at one time were only accessible to the elite, and I mean, that's just one facet of uh, his whole vision. But I think you'd really resonate with it. How can entrepreneurs and startups, particularly, help lift people out of poverty?
0: That's a good question. I think that uh, you know that 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 really is. Um multifaceted I mean I think there's there's one way is is really being intentional with how you with kind of your supply chain. And so you know we see we see some companies that are on the forefront of that. Like Microsoft is is a great partner and and client of ours and they've got entire departments dedicated to responsible outsourcing. And they have a vision to to say hey we're we're spending a lot of money uh, as a business and we uh, have gotten a lot better I mean a lot of people think more about where does the coffee come from that I drink or uh, how how are the the different things that we use as consumers uh, how are they produced and and so I think more and more businesses are thinking about in the course of their business how can they be more intentional and responsible um, and a lot of them are are really putting that towards, uh, working with companies like Cloud Factory, uh, who are being intentional, and there's a, there's a movement called impact sourcing that that is growing, and and so it's great to see companies like Microsoft, but also many small companies and many small entrepreneurs who are trying to just be consistent and saying, "Hey, we want to exactly, we want to be bold, we want to do uh, something, we want to create some impact in the world." Um, and, and so we've got another great company who has a big vision. Uh, you know, they've raised a lot of money out in Silicon Valley, and uh, the, the founder's heart is in a fantastic place. Uh, they're working in a pretty traditional industry. Um, but they have recently switched to, to move over and work with us because they actually see how uh, the regular spend that they would have is going to actually have a, a, a stronger impact. Um, so I think that's that's one way, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, some people are doing it maybe more directly, and, and then there's a way that can be done in terms of partnering and supply chains to really think through, through some of these questions.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you have a particular definition for meaningful work. How do you define that?
0: We do. We do. We're actually getting you know, a little more scientific about it than we ever have before. Uh, and that's something we're, we're investing and in developing right now is, is really defining it and, and building actually some uh, some curriculum around that. Um, so we, we are passionate about meaningful work, but at the, at the highest level, um, there there's definitely just the, the purpose of the work, right? There's there's just, there's an in, there's inherent value that is in, we believe, all work, right? All work is good. Yes, there are exceptions, but let's not talk about those right now. Focusing on that is the idea is that all work from having you know, from washing dishes to uh preparing meals to you know being a, a billionaire executive, you know, managing multiple businesses, like just across the board we believe that there's purpose inherently in that work of serving others and just see so so we we just want to help people understand that, you know, we really want to help people understand that. I mean, one quick instance, I'm, I'm here in the UK staying at an Airbnb and it's a it's an older lady. All of her kids have moved out. She's by herself. She has a big house and uh, she has people coming and going every day. And, and this is the second time I've stayed there. And it's a fantastic it's it allows me to to come and do what I need to do to help expand our business to 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 UK and Europe. And, uh, you know, there's other people that are coming in to she was telling me the other day that are serving, uh, volunteering at this, uh, you know, kind of child camp that they put on. Um, and, and so there's all these stories of people that are coming in. And so I just tried to tell I'm like, wow, I'm like, this is pretty cool that you get to be a part of all of these things that people are doing right like that you are helping to enable people to to do amazing things and just from all the stories that she was sharing she never really thought about the idea that she's actually a part of those things that she's actually a part of helping in a small way what what i'm doing just by opening up her home and uh so so yes it's good because it's good side income for her it's utilizing an asset that she has and she's thinking about it that way but helping people to really understand some of the, the deeper inherent purpose in the work. Um, that's a beginning of the meaningful work. I, I think that we also think a lot about how do you create an environment of meaningful work as well. Um, and, and I think there's a lot of things that we can do uh, to make that better or worse as entrepreneurs.
1: I love that. I've been thinking about that question recently. And my thought is that uh, I think it's in line with what you're saying, is that everyone, whatever role they're fulfilling, even though it may seem to many, even to that person, insignificant, there is a an element of contribution. And the more you can... Um, raise the awareness of what that contribution is, it, it not only dignifies it, it elevates it, but it, it can make that person even more excited about what they're doing. They don't just f- feel, well, I'm doing this because I have to. No. You know, they're, they're, and I think that maybe in the past, we've been a bit elitist in how we've defined what is contribution and what isn't. And I yeah. think that you can look at almost, look at an entertainer, look at a comedian, a yeah. comedian, the contribution that laughter makes to lifting people's emotions and to healing, that's powerful.
0: I agree. I agree. Or another example is the real estate agent right now, right? We're trying to move our family to, to the UK. And there's a lot of, you know, the exact same job has completely different, meaning to different people so some of the real estate agents you know I feel like we're bothering them right by having to like go look at a home and yet there's other ones right there's this one this one young lady who's just been amazing and just trying to like really help us understand like what we're looking for for schools and how we're thinking through things as a family and 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 I realized like that the opportunity for her is to help people at some of the hardest moments of transition
1: Right. right. I mean, right. She's
0: helping people that are going through divorces and having to downsize and, 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 and she's helping people that are doing international moves and worried about, like, they don't know the area, they don't know things. And, and just when you understand, I think, like you said, that contribution, um, it completely can change. It can change instantly. It can be the exact same job. Um, but when you really understand it, it it's it's a, it's a matter of perspective, but it's a big one. So, so it, to us, it's it's a it's a, it's a much more detailed, you know, even formula that we kind of use. But, but at the highest level, it's the the inherent value or contribution, and it's the environment in which you perform that work, and and really working to to improve both of those. Um, that that's what leads, you know, work is good, but but meaningful work is even better.
1: How do you feel that artificial intelligence and digital technology are changing our world?
0: They are changing our world very fast. Um, I think faster than any of us even realize. Uh, And and, and part of that is part of that's good. I mean, I think as always technology that isn't even seen as technology, it just, it really just makes our lives easier. makes the world go around better that's the best type of technology, and so I think we're seeing AI, and machine learning, really uh, begin to make things smarter, make 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 technology uh, smarter and more personalized, more dynamic, and understanding things. Um, so yeah, we we are seeing a, a massive shift that's happening. Um, it may even be its own revolution. Uh, you know, we, we've had the industrial revolution, like you said. There's the digital. Uh, and I think this is, this is potentially another one. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of people that are are asking questions. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's probably more fear around it right now than anything, because the whole idea of the robots taking over the robots, taking our jobs. Um, I, I think it's a fascinating and important conversation that, that the world is having right now. And, and, and. My particular view and, 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 and our view at Cloud Factory is, is, is a pretty interesting one because we, we we work with some of the leading AI companies in the world. I mean, we're, we're helping to train uh, autonomous driving or self-driving car algorithms for some of the top companies right now. And we get to see inside a lot of these companies and really where things are at. And um, I think that we have a very... People plus technology. It's not man versus machine. It's man and machine perspective on things. We 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 don't believe that uh, technology is going to surpass us as humans, right? We 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 create technology to uh, to assist us and to accelerate us, and so we often talk around the idea of ten x workers. How can you how can you make people ten x more effective and productive and accurate? Um, by using technology and so it's it's much less about replacing it's more about augmenting and um, so yeah it's it's a it's an interesting time it's an important conversation and uh, I think for us we, we have more of a view that it's gonna it's gonna take more time than people are probably thinking just like the paperless office is still not quite here 20 30 years after it was predicted it was just right around the corner any any day now um, you know, paper's, paper's still around, paper's still valuable, um, and uh, I, think, I think that uh, we, we don't need to write off the, the human race and, and, the, and uh, give up on, on, on the potential of jobs quite yet, uh, but there's no question that there's, there's shifts that are happening.
1: Mark, you don't realize it, but you could have written an entire chapter in the book, Bold. Uh, I really think you should get it yesterday. Uh, you will absolutely love it because I agree there's a lot of fear and some of it's being perpetuated by uh, fictional media. Most of the feature films that deal with the future and AI are horrific and apocalyptic. But if you read bold, it is a totally optimistic and Uh, inviting vision of what's happening and those are and when you talk about 10x that's exactly what diamantes is um constantly talking about so you highly highly recommend that book now what is what is what you call the on-demand economy
0: so we we've been through a a period recently where we become almost a one-click society right where we we Expect with one click on your phone that a car is going to pick you up or food's going to be delivered to your door And and so that's another key trend that we've seen is that people are are really expecting um, Things to happen on demand and and we see that on the again on the consumer level But we also have began seeing that on a business-to-business level as well And so yeah, it's it's a it's a key trend. It's an important trend Um, you know, I'm I'm sitting here in, in new office space and you know, it's it's one of the many wonderful co working options that are out there today, right? Where we just literally almost click a button and we get an instant office set up and I come in and there's desks for everyone and there's whiteboards on the wall and there's coffee and tea and everything. And so it's 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 amazing just to see uh from from office space to food to rides, you know everything is moving towards a, very much an on-demand kind of uh, uh, approach.
1: And that's exciting. It really is. Now, why must startups define and redefine their why?
0: I think that I think that it's it's an it's such an ongoing process, and and I know that everyone when they start a business sits down to try and figure out well we should probably have some sort of a mission vision purpose type statement that we figure out and and so everyone will you know check the box they'll, they'll do you know the golden circle exercise uh they'll, they'll they'll find something and i think what what happens is is that we feel like it's kind of a check the box it's done and then you go and try and make money um and and uh that's one of the biggest things that I've learned is, is how you can spend so much time working on it. And it just, it continues to, it's just a, it's a very much an iterative process and finding clarity in the purpose and the, and the bigger whys of your business. Uh, I believe when you can unlock that you can unlock a a whole new level of, of scale and opportunity for the business. So, so the, the the bigger the why, the clearer the why, uh, the more you're gonna be able to attract um, more people into your organization and keep them aligned and working towards the same things. Um, and, and so it's, it, you know, as entrepreneurs, it is so key for us to have that vision and to continue to refine it and make it clear and to help it plug into the bigger trends and understanding what's happening in our world Um, you know creating that clarity is exactly how uh, great businesses are are formed and created and so so yeah I think that I think it's very common that entrepreneurs the tendency is that you kind of you figure a a little bit of the why out early on um, and then you go and work a lot on again in my world you work a lot on technology you're constantly iterating iterating you know using agile software to do two-week sprints and you, you know you're constantly improving your software you're constantly working to acquire clients and, and revenue and there's all these things that are an ongoing process but the the culture and the the why the purpose is something that doesn't quite receive the same amount of ongoing attention and uh, I think that's what I've learned as I've met other entrepreneurs people who are really building big things are spending a lot of time on the why.
1: Beautiful. Of course, I'm thinking right away of Simon Sinek's book, "Start with Why." Yep. Where do you see yourself in five years?
0: I hope I am learning more than ever and uh, seeing Cloud Factory grow. I I, I really do. I, I think that it's been a it's been in many ways since that trip in 2008 that uh, this has been a, a long chapter for us uh, as a family and for me personally. And, uh, and yet it's one that I can't wait to see through for the next five and beyond years because uh, I am learning so much. Uh, I, I just, uh, I, I'm excited as, as, the, as the organization grows. Uh, I just, I think of the new people that we brought onto our team and the new things I'm learning from them, and, and, and just excited to have that continue to happen. So yeah, I, where will I be in the world? I, that I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know, but I know I will be somewhere, uh, hopefully, trying to connect talented people uh, with opportunities uh, and, and connecting businesses who need talent um, with, with those really smart people uh, that they may not be able to find otherwise and and that's really what we get to do at cloud factory is is make make that whole inner part work because that's there's a gap that's there there's the the labor system, the labor model is is broken, and really connecting all that together in a flat world is something that uh, I want to be doing five years from now for sure
1: I'm certain that you will I can hear the passion. And purpose in your voice. Who is your ideal client?
0: So we have two ideal clients. Um, but one of them is like we have talked about is, is, is those, those companies that are uh, – well, really, it's, it's the same one. So entrepreneurs in my world are, are these tech entrepreneurs that set out to change the world, to build some crazy disruptive technology. Uh, and somewhere along the way, they realize – that in order to really scale their technology into a business they need people they need to scale people uh, they rather need a large number of people to help train up their ai and machine learning algorithms so to actually create the training data uh, that makes this software happen um, that requires scaling people and that's what we do at cloud factory Uh, or there's people who in the midst of building that realize that there's features within their within their platform or their SaaS software that actually uh, need to be powered by people and and so they need to scale people behind the scenes to make that happen so it's often technology companies that are growing Uh, they need people to power features or people to train algorithms uh, that they end up coming to Cloud Factory and, and spinning up what we call a work stream, um, which is a combination of a remote team and all the tools and technology you need to get routine repetitive work done and and so yeah we 're working with some of the most amazing tech companies in the world right now that are doing really cool things uh, and and so that that 's who we love working with and that 's who is really loving to work with us too
1: fantastic that 's wonderful. You are making a wonderful contribution. Tell me, what is your favorite book? Favorite book. Wow.
0: The first one that came to mind, and so I'm going to go with that. I wouldn't say it's one that I typically answer with, but maybe it's based a little bit on our conversation today. Uh, There's a book called Good Jobs Strategy, and it really breaks down the idea of what makes a, a job good. And, and so it's a really interesting study. I believe it's an MIT professor that wrote it, um, some really great research. And it really details the idea of, of involving uh, the right amount of cross-training and, and, and slack into jobs and different things that are needed to really create a good job. And again, I love I love a lot of these topics, but then I love – the the science uh and the discovery kind of behind some of them and and so yeah it's 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 a it's been pretty influential for us as a company is again this idea of what is what is a good job how do we we're trying to create a million jobs we're trying to create meaningful work for a million people we, we need to we need to understand more of that and it, so it was very influential and in, in helping us to understand what that should look like
1: thank you for that uh Earlier on in our conversation, when you were talking about Nepal and about learning to see through the challenges in that world, in a developing country, and fall in love with the culture, I thought of a powerful work of fiction. Well, it's a work of fiction, but it's based on a man's actual life, the author's life. You probably love it. It's called Shantaram. Shanta Ram and it's about a man who was a um, he was a, he was in a maximum security prison in Australia. He broke out and escaped to India and in India he went on a journey that boggles the mind and fell in love with India and now he's actually... Doing major work in India to contribute whatever he can to improve conditions of living there.
0: Fascinating. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's really a one war- and it's beautifully written. It's one word Shanta Ram. Mm. What is your favorite quote? Well, I think
0: I'll go back to the one I used earlier is that talent is equally distributed around the world, but opportunity is not. And, uh, it, 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 i'm trying to remember exactly where it came from but it is a, it's a it's an important quote it's it's one that i discovered when i took that trip to nepal and and met met three young computer engineers who uh all three of them were probably smarter and more capable than i am but they didn't receive the same opportunities necessarily and it really was realizing that uh yeah, that that there really is a is an important truth that we're still trying to figure out.
1: That is a wonderful quote. Uh you didn't make it up, right? That is someone else's. No, uh, no. Okay. Yeah, I'm trying to remember
0: where it came from, but yeah, it it's definitely uh definitely uh, has been around for decades.
1: My friend Google will probably tell me.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Right. Now, how can people contact you, Mark?
0: So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anyone who wants to even email me directly. It's just mark, M-A-R-K, at cloudfactory.com. I'm on Twitter at Mark T. Sears. Um, you can come check us out at cloudfactory.com. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm more than happy to speak, especially with other entrepreneurs who are thinking about some of the same things and tackling even adjacent opportunities and markets and um, those that are especially we call micro uh, multinational startups those that are are trying to do the whole distributed around the world startup thing so yeah all all of those would uh, be more than happy to to connect
1: directly and i believe that people should connect with you and that they will any final thoughts for our storytellers today
0: uh i i just think that for us in, in the story um you know, the story for, for me and, and my wife and for our family, uh, it, it really it really has been um, – we, we've talked a lot about the idea of it feels like the last 10 years has been more like a river and less like a lake. And so I think that we've been able to just really kind of follow uh, the stream and the current that we've been on, and it's taken us on a, on a wonderful journey that we we just are very thankful for it wouldn't change uh, for anything um and and so i sometimes i think in other parts of my life i felt like i was in a lake where i was the one that was rowing, trying to find which place to go to and so i just i would just encourage people to really be on the lookout for the opportunities that are probably right there right in front of them and and it's sometimes it's just taking those little steps uh those little those little chances that can just continue to open up new doors and and lead to something that uh, can really can really change your life. And that's what happened to us.
1: Thank you for that beautiful image, Mark. I love what I do, especially when I get to spend time with people like you and have this kind of conversation, because it expands my vision, it elevates me and makes me really feel good about the kind of world that we're in. You've contributed a lot today, my friend. Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for the opportunity to share our story, Lewis. I appreciate the platform you create as well. Thank you.
1: You're very welcome, Mark. Thank you once again, storytellers, for spending time today with me and Mark Sears. I trust that you found Mark's journey into a life of risk-taking and contribution inspiring. Pay this forward. Let people know that they can hear this on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, and of course, at the website ChangeYourStoryPodcast.com. And remember that you can download a free gift at that website from me, an ebook called Storytelling Secrets for a Rich Life and Business. I mentioned books today a lot. And one that I'm obviously passionate about that relates very much to today's theme is the book Bold, How to Go Big, Create Wealth and Impact the World by Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kettler. Take advantage of the offer from our sponsor, Audible. You can download that book, the audio version, absolutely free or choose any other book that you want from more than 120,000 titles. Simply go to www.audibletrial.com forward slash story power. Get your free download and also enjoy one month of Audible's entire service. Keep your comments coming. Let me know what you're getting from the show and what you'd like to see in it going forward. Send your messages to Lewis, L-O-U-I-S, at changeyourstorypodcast.com. Mark talked today about some fascinating things, particularly about being willing to experience the unknown, being willing to go way beyond your comfort zone, to find a richer life. Is there something that you've been dreaming about doing, but maybe you're held back because it seems scary and you're settled in your comfort zone? Well, why not re-examine that dream? Begin by asking yourself, how can I change my story and change my life?